We're reviewing Isaiah because I've preached it to you over the last year. It has 66 books and 1,282 verses and 34,076 words. And we have tried to deal with them as faithfully as we could. There's, there's 75 to 80 sermons preached related to Isaiah in the last 18 months and over 1,300 pages and slides. I have some snapshots of the 22 chapters we're going to cover this morning. I have to go quickly. I only get a couple minutes per slide. I hope that you can benefit. I hope that your view is good enough. Isaiah chapter 45. Let's glorify the Lord Jehovah, and let's glorify his son, and let's glorify the preaching unto the Gentiles and being believed down in the world. And we will see it all in these 22 chapters. Isaiah chapter 45, 44 introduced Cyrus to us by name in the 28th verse, and 45 gives him to us again by name. God promised that Cyrus and Israel, that he would use Cyrus for his glory and for universal worship by the world at the overthrow of the world's great empire of Babylon. There's the 25 verses of Isaiah 45 broken into their five parts. It's a wonderful chapter as it explains God's role in the politics of the world and how he used Cyrus to get himself glory. God named Cyrus, and I'm, you know, I'm going to read some of this to you, and I want you to know and, and see that you're going to have a tool for the book of Isaiah going into the future that summarizes the 1,300 pages for you on just 66. God named Cyrus here at least 100 years before he was born, which was 150, 60, or 70 before he overthrew Babylon. Okay. He would bless God's, he was God's chosen man to save the Jews from Babylon. And God would bless this man's military strategies to reveal his glory to him and the whole world to mock all idolatry. Because no idol God and no idol priest could ever foretell the future like God foretold the future in Cyrus taking down Babylon. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed Cyrus. Notice that God had anointed a pagan king for a special purpose for his church, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and so forth. And why? That thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Amen. Did Cyrus know that Jehovah of Israel was the God of heaven? Yes. In his declaration, he wrote, The God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the world and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Yes. Notice verse 7, and you have verse 7 over here in the outline. The outline says, God sovereignly rules all nations and men. Verse 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so we learn about our God, his character, and his conduct from this chapter as well. In verse 9, again, about the sovereign rule of God, woe unto him that striveth with his maker! Exclamation point. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. You know, there's some potsherds out there over this weekend that are proving themselves to be potsherds. Let them fight themselves. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. 
No, it's inappropriate to say that because God's the potter. In verse 21, which is going to be down here in this section, God saved by Cyrus for universal worship. Tell ye, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? Look at these three questions. What religion and what God has foretold Cyrus overthrowing Babylon? No one but me, and there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Fulfilled prophecy like this proves God and proves the Bible. And we love fulfilled prophecies like this. The righteousness and salvation that you read about several times in Isaiah 45, and it's 25 verses, righteousness is used, salvation is used. It is not talking about legal righteousness in Christ. It is not talking about salvation from hell. It is talking about salvation from Babylon and the righteous judgment of the persecutors of the church in Babylon. We know Cyrus's decree starts Daniel's 70 weeks. We know that this man is special. God named him. We do not follow Ptolemy and 99% of the Christian world in starting the 70 weeks with Artaxerxes. It starts with Cyrus because he made the decree and no one else. And it's in this chapter. Though, when you look at the yellow on the right-hand side, there's only four verses there. Do you know what kind of torment it was? to go through these chapters and look at 25 verses and try to figure out which ones I get to stick on the right? I wanted to put 26. You know what I mean. The, the Word of God is wonderful. We've got to keep moving. Isaiah 46. We took a long time on 45. Isaiah 46, God mocked idols. That's the theme of it. God comforted the captive Jews in Babylon that he was superior to idols in very glorious ways. And so if you look at the outline, he is better than idols by nature, by the ability to prophesy, and by salvation. Persia would carry Babylon's idols away as a heavy burden for beasts. But God carries his people from birth to old age. Do you remember the difference? What a God we have. God mocked idols by their nature, their inability to prophesy, and their inability to save. Remember this? Bell boweth down. Because Bel, an idol of the Babylonians, had been pulled down from its stand and laid in a wagon to haul it out of town. Nebo stoopeth. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden. They are a burden to the weary beast. Because the idol can't move itself, and even the beasts get wearied and troubled and tired trying to move those gods. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb even to old age. Let's age graciously in this church. God has carried us from our mother's womb, and he'll carry us into the earth in our bodies, and he'll carry our spirits into heaven by his angels. To whom will ye liken me? Remember, he's mocking idolatry. And make me equal and compare me that we may be like. There is nothing in the universe to compare to our God. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Poor Jews, there in Babylon, don't worry. I've got you covered. Their gods need to be hauled and the beasts get tired. I've carried you from birth and I will carry you right out of this city. I bring near my righteousness. 
There we go. It shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry, and I will place salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. The salvation out of Babylon and the righteous judgment upon their enemies. God loves to destroy idolatry and mock its futility. And you should know that about your God. He mocks false religion. Our God takes care of us from birth to past death, right? Not just to death, but past death. And our God and religion are far superior to any other. Thank you, blessed God. Thank you for revealing thyself to us. Isaiah 47, Babylon's no lady. God mocked Babylon as a virgin daughter and lady, which is common terminology for a city, and promised her ruin in spite of her sorceries and witchcraft. And so there's our little outline. God promised that Babylon would be desolated, and God promised to ruin her sorcerers. God purposed to destroy Babylon from mistreating his people, though he had used her to chasten them. Her multitude of sorceries would not help or save her. God would destroy her by the Persians, so she would become a widow and childless in one day. And she did. Come down and sit in the dust. O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground. There is no throne for you anymore. Thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee as a man. Do you remember that? I will not meet you as a courting man. I will not meet you as a man who's seduced by your beauty. I'm coming to meet you in vengeance. Wonderful. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. All the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the prognosticators and all the witchcraft that they used would not be able to help when God came. It hath perverted thee. You are overconfident in what you think is knowledge. Thou hast said in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let your astrologers, stargazers, monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. God treats his people and their enemies differently. He did chasten the Jews in Babylon for 70 years. But how long did he chasten Babylon? And it shouldn't be called chastening. It should be called judging, condemning. How long? Forever and ever and ever. It's a drastic difference. You should not fear any powers of darkness at all. Do you understand that 13th verse? Let them have all the powers of darkness, witchcraft, and sorceries, and throw spells and curses on us. Bring them on. The Lord is my strength, and the devil's terrified of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' return will bring judgment worse than Cyrus. Let's remember that. Isaiah 48, mercy for blessings. God is going to save because he has so many blessings for his people. Israel sinned against Jehovah's divine proofs and lost blessings, but God would save them for himself anyway. And so we have an outline. God reproved Israel for sin against fulfilled prophecies and chastening. They didn't learn by either method that he was their God. He ended their time in Babylon for his own name's sake. He showed his care of Israel by sending Cyrus, but they were in trouble for their sins. 
That is the, the non-elect Jews. Because I knew that thou art obstinate. This is the Lord speaking about the Jews. I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Lest thou shouldest say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. So I told you about these events way early, before you could give any other excuse or cause for them coming to pass. For my name's sake. Do you love that right there? I'm thankful that the Bible says, for my name's sake, and he's speaking, and it's not for thy name's sake. Because we don't do things good enough to match up and measure up to the holiness and righteousness of God, but it's for his name's sake will I defer mine anger. And for my praise will I refrain for thee that I cut thee not off. I am not going to let the captivity in Babylon destroy you forever. I, even I, have spoken, yea, I have called him, Cyrus, I have brought him, Cyrus, he, Cyrus, shall make his way, Cyrus, prosperous. Oh, that thou hadst hearkened to my commandment. You're in Babylon because you deserve to be, but if you just listened to me in the beginning, then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. We'd have had a tsunami of blessing in our lives. Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare ye, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. Amen. We want to do that Amen. to everyone, everywhere, that the Lord will give us an audience. Let us declare the Lord has redeemed us. Amen. That's what we just sang. Do you remember? I will sing of my Redeemer. Amen. We should hate sin by God's works for our loyalty. God has done things to get our loyalty to Him. He understands that they should work. His creation, His providence, His mercy, His salvation, His chastening, His word, His conscience in us. It should work. Let's give Him our loyalty. God chooses actions for His own glory and praise, and I love that. If I can be used for the glory of God in any way, shape, or form, in time or eternity, I am His. And we should all have that attitude toward Him. Sin always loses God's best blessings for your life. It doesn't matter what you think you can do. It doesn't matter what you accomplish in some little tiny worthless advancement in this world. Sin always loses God's best blessings for your life. So repent so that you can have this in verse 18 that I'm underlining over here. So that thy peace will be as a river and thy righteousness as the waves of the sea. Genesis 40, Isaiah 49, excuse me. Isaiah 49, success with Gentiles. This is such an intimate chapter. Let me get right to it. Isaiah 49. Now I don't have verse 5 here, but in verse 5, the Lord Jesus Christ by prophecy said, do you remember this? Isaiah 49, 5. The Lord Jesus Christ said by prophecy, I know that my judgment stands with you, but I'm sorry for not being a big success. Because he wasn't. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Do you remember that? And here's the Lord's answer to him. 
It is a light thing. It's a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. Don't worry about that little job that I gave you. That's just a little thing. And to restore the preserved of Israel. Notice it's, it's all about the Jews. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Now that is a big time ministry. And the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry was expanded from just the Jews in Israel, the smallest nation on earth, to the whole world. But do you remember that? Do you remember this chapter? That there is an intimate conversation between God and Jesus by prophecy that we would not otherwise know about. Because Jesus wanted to be a smashing success for God. He wanted to glorify God in everything he did, and he didn't by his success with the Jews. They basically rejected him. So now we can come back and just leave some red lines. So we have the outline, and we have this summary of the chapter. The chapter starts by a personal and intimate exchange between Messiah, our Lord Jesus, and God his Father. Messiah would have, would have more success with Gentiles than with the Jews. He would unite Jews and Gentiles to be a great spiritual kingdom with numbers beyond belief in light. Can a woman forget her sucking child? This prompted a sermon series. Do you remember? Can it... Thank you, Christina, and thank you, Chelsea. You two were a tag team one Sunday, only five minutes apart, in teaching me this verse. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Right. Amen. Verse 21, so we look over here to our outline, God used the Gentiles to favor his people. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, here's 45,000 Jews coming back from Babylon. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, who hath begotten me these? Seeing I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and removing to and fro, and who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. These, where had they been? This is a beautiful verse. This is a description of the Gentiles being converted and the Jewish nation exploding. You know, we were captives. We were wandering around. We didn't have a settled place where there was just a few of us. Where did these millions come from? Where were they hiding? It's Isaiah 49. You say, why do you get so excited? Listen, if you don't get excited about 49.21 right there, just read it and think about it. it is a, it's a wonderful verse in the Bible. Where did all these come from? Do you know who these are? You. Yes, right. us. Embrace the personal exchange of God and Christ. It's novel. That means it's new. Gentile kings and queens became their nursing parents. The growth of the church kingdom was spectacular. Okay. Remember, 49.15 right here. Can a woman forget her sucking child? So I preach three sermons to you. The love of God. How does God love you? Is this how God loves you? Sort of, but not according to Isaiah 49. Is this how God loves you? Better. Remember? Better. Can this woman forget? They may. But I won't, he said. And so we had a few pictures, but many verses, to remind us of how God loves us. What a God! He comes in fiery fury and vengeance to destroy his enemies but he wants to compare himself to a nursing mother. I love the combination. What a glorious God. 
Isaiah 50, Messiah the learned. Israel deserved their captivity, but Christ would be gifted. The Messiah would be gifted, faithful, meek, and mighty to save. There's only 11 verses. This is one of the better chapters in Isaiah because of its prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. God viewed the Jews' captivity like divorcing a bad wife or selling a profligate child into slavery. Israel deserved their captivity due to sins. God was not guilty. Jesus in prophecy described God teaching him, submitting to his crucifixion torture, and the folly of human light. And those three points are just huge. Those three points. Christ Jesus, our Lord, used divine gifts faithfully in his work. He meekly endured crucifixion on the cross. And he is our salvation and truth. Let's skip verse 1. It's, it's about the divorce that God had of Israel. Verse 4, the Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned. This is Jesus Christ speaking by prophecy that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Do you remember? Time to get up, son. Time to get up, son. I have some things to teach you today. That's what the verse is saying. God's intimate relationship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who grew in wisdom and in stature, and was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, and did he ever know how to answer and give a word of comfort and give a word of rebuke. But then it jumps. Notice over here at the outline, verse 6. I'm also trying to show you how to use this. Jump over to verse 6. Christ meekly endured enemies. So in verse 6, he's jumped from learning by God's personal instruction to, I gave my back to the smiters. He was scourged. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Now, there's three descriptions here of the Lord Jesus Christ's torture before his crucifixion. The middle one, number two, is not in the New Testament. We only know that his beard was plucked and his facial hair was plucked off by Isaiah chapter 50. Now, I, the last two verses, 10 and 11. Verse 10 says, If you lack any light in your life, trust in me and I'll provide it. Then it makes fun by going to the light of the world's religions. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, a religious fire, a spiritual fire, a fire of witchcraft, of, of astrologers and counselors. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Amen. See, I can't show all 11 verses. I want verse 10 so bad right now it hurts. I, I paraphrased it to you, but the comparison between 10 and 11 is wonderful. And the Lord has given us his truth. And if, you if you're dark about any part of life, humble yourself before God, repent of your sins, and ask for more, and he'll give it to you. Do you know what our, our verse of prayer was this morning in the back room? Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. God personally instructed the man Christ for his duty in the way that prophecy described it to us. Only here can we learn that his beard was plucked. The only profitable light in this world is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isaiah 51. God would save, and there's two chapters in a row that God would save. God comforted his remnant church in Babylon with deliverance and great blessings in the future. 
He told the Jews to remember Abraham and Sarah and how he took care of them, and did he ever. He would save the Jews by great power out of their impotent condition. Their bulls, this is the chapter. Do I have any bulls here today? Their bulls, sons, could not help, so God would turn his own fury of chastening on their enemies to their perpetual ruin. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. If I did that for the father of the nation, surely I'm going to do that for you too. Do you remember we have three witnesses that God will be good to us? What are the three witnesses? The record in the Bible of God's goodness to his people? Two. God's record of goodness to others that you know in our church? Three. God's record of goodness to you in the past? Those are three witnesses that I have taught you to remember at all times. They're more than, more than sufficient for us to trust God. Oh, this, I enjoyed this verse. The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. These are the Jews terrified in Babylon, and they're just worried and stressed, and just waiting for, when are they going to get out of this city? And Isaiah 51 is, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. I'm going to take care of myself, so don't stress. Sit still. But that's not here, that's in chapter 30. Sit still. Thy sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets as a wild bull in a net. A wild bull in a net is pretty worthless. What net is restraining you young men? What net? Every one of you has nets that are a temptation to render you incapable of being a leader in the kingdom of God. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. God had judged them. I've just mentioned the three witnesses for faith. God's creation and man's weakness should comfort us. And will young men be bulls for God and his kingdom in this church? What will you do with what you've heard already today? We've been going for 100, uh, we've been going for 80 minutes already. From 10 before the hour of 9, and now it's 10.10. What will you do with what you're hearing? Embrace it. Make it your life. Be a bull. 52, God would save again. God would save the exiles by his great power as he had from Egypt and Assyria. Remember the great deliverance under Moses from Egypt? The great deliverance from Assyria under Hezekiah. The gospel would go forth for the world to see. God introduced his servant, the Christ, for great suffering and glorious salvation. Now notice, it's, it's Isaiah 52. That means it comes before 53, and that means that the last three verses of 52 introduce chapter 53 that I hope you all know by now so that we have 15 verses that are like Isaiah 53. Remember, Egypt and Assyria and God delivered them. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that saith unto God, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Amen. The watchmen of the New Testament are going to see eye to eye. They shall see eye to eye. That council of Jerusalem, and you think about the unity of the apostles as the Lord Jesus Christ kept them together and corrected their errors. There was one message that came forth out of Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then that 13th verse, verses 13 through 15, over here in the outline, Messiah would be God's servant to save.
The gospel sent worldwide is a great mystery event. It was prophesied and hinted at in the Old Testament. We know it's already been fulfilled for a couple thousand years. Now you know the source of the awakening chorus, right? Up here, verse 1, awake, awake. Isaiah 53, because you know this chapter the best, I'm going to go through it rather quickly because it's been preached to you many times. For time's sake, not to slight the one spoken of here. But if you remember, when I got to this chapter, I brought slides and went through it phrase by phrase, which should be remembered along with a long outline that's available for it, and you also listened to a sermon preached about 18 years ago from this chapter that was, a, that was more passionate than technical, but the slides were more technical than passionate. Isaiah 53, about the Lord Jesus Christ. We also preached a sermon, Who Shall Declare His Generation? Out of verse 8. Isaiah 54. With the work of Jesus Christ in chapter 53, and the fact that therefore God hath highly exalted him, in the 12th verse of chapter 53, the Jewish church exploded with growth. The remnant church, shamed and shrunk in Babylon, would flourish by prosperity and protection. God promised the Jewish church would explode in size, including many Gentiles. He would take her back like a loving husband and never reject her again. Prosperity and protection were guaranteed to her and to her children forever. And God would take away fear and terror by committing himself against all enemies. 17 verses, and they're wonderful. Remember this, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not. Don't, don't come up short in material. Lengthen the cords and strengthen thy stakes because you're going to need a whole lot bigger house to accommodate all the Gentiles that are going to be converted. Do you remember? Here we are. How many did they have in the upper room in Acts chapter 1? 120. What is our church? 200. And we're just one little tiny church in the world. It's as the waters of Noah unto me. Do you remember his promise? I'm not going to bring a flood in the earth, and I'm going to be good to you. I will lay thy stones with fair colors and thy foundations with sapphires. I'm going to beautify the church. All your children shall be taught of the Lord. This is the elect children of the church, and great shall be the peace of thy children. I want you to love this one. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. The martyrs. The martyrs are the perfect fulfillment of this. They, they were put to death in the name of Jesus. They were put to death in the name of the Christian religion. But you heard their testimonies. They condemned them in judgment. The variety of promises here should thrill the soul in Isaiah 54. We are the mystery of godliness fulfilling this word. And the promised protection is fulfilled by the martyrs of Rome, both pagan and papal. Isaiah 55. The free gospel feast. You don't have any money? You don't know how to buy God's favor, blessing, spiritual fellowship with Him? It's free. The gospel offers a joyful feast with David's son, with pardon for sin and certain promises. The gospel has a feast of fat things. 
for the soul to find great delight. It includes the son of David as leader and commander and abundant pardon for backsliders. His word is certain, prosperity sure for God's glory. Here it is. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear, which is what we all we need to do, is listen to the invitation and the offers of Scripture to come and have fellowship with God. Come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. This is real soul life. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. I thank God for Kayla and Angela M's mother, both of whom loved Isaiah 55 and the free fat feast described here. I only baptized Kayla six months ago, but she wanted to be rebaptized after getting into Isaiah 55 a little ways because right here, no, back up here, verse 3. How do we make this everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David? That is when we are converted and profess faith in Jesus Christ and are baptized in the name of the Son of David. It's not complicated. Thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. There's only 13 verses, but it's wonderful. This is us, Gentiles, nations, plural, that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Do you remember the emphasis on the glory of the Jewish church? Jesus has glory. God has glory. But they came through the Jewish church so that there's great glory in the Jewish church of the first century. Not today. The first century. And so it's right here. And we're going to see so much of that when we get to chapter 60, if we get to chapter 60. We'll get there. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Church. I keep hearing some of you corrupt these words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. This has nothing to do with God's intelligence. This has nothing to do with God having nice, warm, and fuzzy thoughts about you. This has one subject. And I get discouraged when I have preached this so many times, and I still hear you confused about it. This is about one thing. God forgives differently than you forgive. God forgives differently than anyone else forgives. God forgives fully, freely, and fast. Unlike any of us, that's all that it's talking about. Abundant pardon. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. We we understand that a whole lot better than that meaning that God's going to bless every time a preacher opens his mouth. This is talking about God's word coming out of his mouth, and it's always going to come to pass, just like we heard from Psalm 33 this morning. The Jews rejected this feast and were destroyed for it. Remember, they made light of it. Remember, Matthew 22, they made light of it. Only here is Jesus called leader and commander in the Bible. God's thoughts and ways here are his forgiveness. Please don't forget that for your comfort. You're going to sin at times in your life, and you're going to think, God can't forgive me. God won't forgive me. I wonder if God's forgiven me. People will say to me, I wonder if God's forgiven me. I'm going to confess it again. Why? Why would you confess it again? He forgives in a totally different way than you can even think. Than you can even think. Let me say that again. He forgives in a way totally different from what you can even think. So the best you can think about being forgiven, he's better. 
56, oh, I love 56, eunuchs and strangers. The grand promises of Messiah's reign are for all kinds of men, if righteous, and Israel would be ruined. Remember, God comforted the eunuchs and God comforted the Gentiles. Messiah's kingdom, the churches of Jesus Christ, is for all people. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. It wouldn't be just Jews. It would be Gentiles and eunuchs as well. Here's the son of the stranger. That's a Gentile. If he's joined himself to the Lord, tell him. And he, and he says to himself, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Neither is a negative. Meaning, don't let a Gentile say, I'm not a Jew. I can't ever get close to the Lord or have a relationship with him. And the eunuch shouldn't say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. What good am I? For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs, let's use them as the example, that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. See, it's character and conduct. That's how God measures people. Character and conduct. Even unto them, even unto these eunuchs, will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and daughters. Who cares about a family tree for a eunuch if a eunuch can be in the house of the Lord and a child of God? I will give them an everlasting name, a son of God that shall not be cut off. Even them, this is for the uh, Gentiles, I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. And here's the warning at the end. This is why your pastor is a watchdog. His watchmen, his pastors are blind. The pastors of the Jews were blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. They sleep. They lie down. They love to slumber. The only difference in Jesus are character and conduct. Nothing else will ever be considered in this church as a difference in Christ Jesus. Amen. The New Testament is way too plain about that, and so is Isaiah 56. I love the Ethiopian eunuch because he was formerly a double reject. He wasn't a reject for his color because that didn't matter to God. What he was a reject for is that he was a Gentile and he was a eunuch. Right. He fulfilled Isaiah 56 twice. And the Lord loved him, and he went on his way rejoicing. True pastors bark loudly against any danger or threats. Isaiah 57, sin doesn't pay. With judgment coming, God took some righteous men to heaven early. Remember that in the first two verses? And no man lays it to heart that when good men die young, then God must be going to do something bad. He mocked the idolatry and spiritual adultery of the Jews, Jehovah will accept the godly humble. That means the high and lofty one. You can approach to God if you're humble and contrite, repentant. He would save the elect remnant in spite of their conduct, but there would be no peace to the wicked. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart what it really means. Draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, and seed of the adulterer and the whore. This is preaching language, and this isn't the worst of the major prophets. The worst is Ezekiel. The nicest is Jeremiah. The middle is Isaiah. Upon a lofty and high mountain hast thou set thy bed. Even thither wentest thou up to offer sacrifice, spiritual adultery, by worshiping other gods on, in high places. Thou art weary. This is an important verse for a lesson. Thou art wearied in the greatness of thy way. This is a carnal Christian. 
I don't have the joy that any, anybody else in the church has. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't really know. You wearied in the greatness of thy way. You've chosen your way instead of God's way, and you're wearied in it. You're troubled, you're tired, you're discouraged, you're depressed. Yet you don't say there is no hope. You still think, I can find happiness doing it my way. Is everyone listening to me about how a carnal Christian reasons? It's right here in verse 10. I can still work it out my way. Thou hast found the life of thine hand. So you get a 5% raise at work and you say, see, life is good. Oh, but you're being starved to death. I don't care if it's a 500% increase. You're being starved to death. What about the feast of fat things of Isaiah 55? Therefore thou wast not grieved because you put forth a little effort and you got a 5% raise. You say my life is okay. No, it's not. You have no hope. There is no hope unless you give yourself wholly to the Lord. I will not contend forever, ever, neither will I be always wroth, for the Spirit should fail before me in the souls which I have made, so God does draw chastening to an end. The good may die young in mercy. Hezekiah and Josiah are two examples of that. The high and lofty one is found by humble repentance. To varying degrees, God saves us despite character. Because he has to, if you think about it. Every one of us has been saved despite character because it's the character and conduct of the Lord Jesus Christ that saved us. Isaiah 58. I've gone through this one before. It's a great chapter. It's got only 14 verses. What it does is condemn ritualistic religion of keeping the ordinances but not living a holy and virtuous life. And a holy and virtuous life is charity and mercy in Isaiah 58. Cry aloud. I'm supposed to lift up my voice so I'm loud and I try to blast you and me for our sins. And the prophet explained why their fasting didn't work, because this is the kind of fast they needed to have, and that was to loose bands, to undo heavy burdens, let press go free and break yokes. What will happen then? It's one of the great chapters in the Bible. I told you when I preached through it, it's one of the densest lists of blessings in the Bible right here. But I couldn't put them all. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Wonderful. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You will never lose following God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God hates his religious ordinances by hypocrites. It's for charity and mercy, he will say. Here I am. 59, God saved by himself. God listed the Jews many sins for which he deserted them. It's a long list right here in these two sections. They were hopeless and helpless. Isaiah prayed for them. God promised to save them by himself, and the Messiah would save and bless the elect remnant. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And judgment is turned away backward. Justice standeth afar off. Truth is fallen in the street. Equity cannot enter. It was so bad among the Jews. And he saw that there was no man to save them and wondered that there was no intercessor, no man good enough, no man strong enough to, descent, to defend the nation because of all their sins. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness, it sustained him. 
My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed. This is a wonderful verse. Saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. God's blessing of the Holy Ghost on his church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 39, Peter said, For the promises unto you and to your children, to as many as the Lord our God shall call. Isaiah 60. 60 through 62 have become three of my favorite chapters of Isaiah after having worked through the whole book. I have a lot of favorites, so don't ask me what the others are. It's a long list. But 60 through 62 are favorites. I never saw the glory in the Jewish church like I saw it doing the expository study of this book. There are 51 occurrences in chapter 60. Thee and thy and thine of the second person pronouns getting, having all the glory. Remember this? Arise, shine. Church! Jewish church! Get up! Arise! Shine! For thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Because everything God did in this world that we Gentiles ended up being the recipients of, he did through the Jewish church. I haven't changed one bit on reprobate Jews. I haven't changed one bit in the synagogue of Satan. I haven't changed one bit on they are not all Israel which are of Israel. I'm talking about the elect Jewish church. God came through them. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Yes, it was Christ. Yes, it was the gospel. But it was a possession and property of the Jewish church. Because we, we needed a Jew to preach to us. Do you know that in God's providence, the, what did I preach to you in the first half of 2019? Just a year ago, 15 months ago, all of Paul's preaching trips. Remember that? You say you're wise, Pastor. No, I'm not. He is. I look back and I say, what brought that on? Oh, I like verse 8. It's a little weird. It's a little strange. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Who comes flying home like a homing pigeon? All of us Gentiles. Who are all these? Like a flock of birds. Look at, look at the Lord's upgrade from the Old Testament church to the New Testament church. You know how Paul calls it. He says the Old Testament church was beggarly, elementary, carnal, worldly, rudimentary, and it's like an old garment that you just need to toss out. That's what he says about it. That's why it's called old. The New Testament is new. For brass, I will give thee gold. For iron, I will bring silver. For wood, brass. For stones, iron. And, and the new kind of officers that they'll have. The sun won't be your light anymore. The Lord shall be your glory. Amen. A little one shall become a thousand. A small one, a strong nation. It's just going to explode in growth. Sorry, folks. I, so I preached blessed or cursed. From right down here at the bottom, Isaiah 60 and verse 12. Why are some nations on earth blessed and others are not? The way they treat the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 61, double for trouble. I troubled you, but now I'm going to give you double back. Remember Job? Did God trouble Job? Did he get double back in the end? So did the Jews. You know this verse. Jesus fulfilled this by reading it in the synagogue of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4. We Gentiles would be priests of the Lord and ministers of our God. 
I mean, we Gentiles would call the Jews priests of the Lord, ministers of our God, and, and they would eat our riches because we would support them. And the New Testament bears that out. For your shame, ye shall have double. That's why the theme, double for trouble. The Messiah would declare peace to captives, and the Jewish church would be glorified. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles. The Jewish church and its descendants in the first century would be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people of the rest of the world. All that see them shall acknowledge them that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed because the Lord had so greatly blessed the Jewish church. Pray and prepare. Isaiah 62, with great desire for the promised divine blessings on the Jewish church, it prayed and prepared. Chapter 60 and chapter 61 are God's promises of blessing, but chapter 62 is prayer for a promise. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. Will I not hold my peace? Because the Jews were going to be no more termed forsaken or termed desolate. They were going to be called Hephzibah and Beulah. For the Lord delighted in them, and they were married to him again. Give God no rest. Do you remember? This is how you should pray. This is called an importunate prayer or importunity. Importunity is when you press God to the point of bothering him. Press him. Give him no rest till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand, promised security by Jehovah's oath is right here. Go through, go through the gates. Go through, go through. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. Get those road signs installed. Level the highway out. Get the stones out of it. Make it smooth for fast travel. What does all that mean? That is a similitude for the spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let's make it as, as accessible and as inviting and as prepared as possible for people to join us in worshiping the Lord and His Christ. Isaiah 63. That was a rough day preaching. There's so many errors in 63 and 64. It troubled me greatly. Isaiah 63, remember this, the first six verses, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra and a song in our hymnals that doesn't have a clue of what it's talking about. God, as an angry, mighty avenger, destroyed Edom, a hated enemy of Israel. Isaiah then reviewed God's love and mercy to the people in their history. On that basis, he prayed that God would see them in Babylon and save them like he did out of Egypt. The first six verses are this bloody traveler coming from Edom. And it was because the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed has come. And the year of his redeemed was the redemption of the Jews out of Babylon and the redemption of the Jews out of the hands of the Edomites who had encouraged the Chaldeans in their destruction of the city. But then, as I point out right here in the outline, the review of God's historical love for Israel. I will mention the loving kindnesses of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us. And so there are times when we want to review all the loving kindness of the Lord to encourage us that he still has loving kindness waiting for us. And that's only half the verse. I needed space. Verse 10, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. They vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he, God, was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. As a beast goeth down into the valley... 
The Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. The Holy Spirit of God, which is God's presence on earth, can go with you and give you rest, or he can be your enemy and fight against you. You do not want him fighting against you. It's, it's on the inside. He, can, he knows you better than you know you. He can turn you inside out, or he can give you rest, beautiful rest. And then the appeal in prayer, we are thine. Thou never bearest rule over them. They were not called by thy name. We are your special people. Save us. 64, appeals for vengeance. After chapter 6, let's read up here. Captive Israel reminded God of his might, his goodness, his mercy, his relationship to them, and his worship so that he would rescue them. This is reasoning and prayer. Reasoning and prayer. After chapter 63, Isaiah prayed God to terrify Babylon by his mighty power, remembering Moses' law. Isaiah confessed the accumulated sins of Israel and begged God for mercy by their relationship to him and by his worship. Remember, here's what it starts off like. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that you would rip the heavens open, that thou wouldest come down that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Come down and terrify the Babylonians. Then he mentions God's covenant. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for them that waiteth for him. He reminded God of covenant commitments. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. This is the appeal over here to relationship, to relation, to relationship. This is how you should pray. This is how we should pray. But now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art potter. And we are all the work of thy hand. Be not wroth very sore, O Lord, neither remember iniquity forever. Behold, see, we beseech thee, we are all thy people. It's so obvious. It's an appeal to the relationship. And then it's an appeal to worship. Our holy and our beautiful house, where our fathers praise thee, is burned up with fire. And all our pleasant things are laid waste. Wilt thou refrain thyself for these things, O Lord? Wilt thou hold thy peace and afflict us very sore? Or would you like us to be worshiping thee again and praising thee again? Like Hezekiah said, if you give me 15 more years, I can celebrate you. If you drop me in the ground with this fatal disease, who's going to celebrate and praise you? It's how to reason with the Lord. In Isaiah 50, oh, Isaiah 64, filthy rags. Filthy rags is ritual hypocrisy of, of keeping God's ordinances and being hypocrites. And so... They are filthy rags because they are righteousnesses, God's ordinances. That's the only thing that's right about them. But they're being done by a hypocrite, and they have nothing to do with a man's righteousnesses. You should never, ever, ever use that verse to say anything about what you do to obey God. Never, ever, ever should you ever say anything with using filthy rags to describe what you do to please and obey God. It violently twists my mind as to how corrupt people can be in their heads and their hearts to take a verse that doesn't belong to them at all and actually can hardly belong to them and then apply it to the things that they do good that from one, the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, men are blessed for what they did and that we can lay up and store a good foundation against the time to come and lay hold of eternal life by our righteousness. Right. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. 65, Gentiles over Jews. Up here, God justly punished the wicked in Israel, and then he blessed elect Jews and Gentiles gloriously. 
God introduced himself to idolatrous Gentiles and justly judged Israel for rejecting him. He saved only a small elect part of Israel. He exalted the difference election makes and the glory of Christ's New Testament kingdom. Remember this? I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. Well, now, did they seek him or did they seek him not? Yes, because there was a time we didn't seek him. And then because of him calling us, we did seek him. I said, behold me, behold me. God spoke to idolaters. If you're tired of your God that's never answered a prayer and takes everything you own, including your firstborn, if you're tired of that God that you have to haul around and paint every year because he rusts, if you're tired of that God, behold me, behold me. Is that... I hope I get to hear this again in the second service. But if not, I know that they will be good. I have spread out my hands all the day unto rebellious people. That's the Jews. This was a nation not called by my name. That's us Gentiles. I create new heavens and a new earth. This is not literal. It is spiritual. It is a prophetic similitude that the new... new Can I simplify it? New heavens and a new earth. So what is the last 27 books of the Bible called? The what testament? Oh, the New Testament. That's it. That's it. Are we preterists? Do we believe that, there's, that we're already in the new heavens and the new earth? Not a chance. Because I preach this to you. Preterism. And I showed you from 2 Peter chapter 3 that there is going to be a new, literal, physical, geological astronomical universe with heavens and earth and real elements melting. But back there in 65 and in 66, it is a similitude for the New Testament. 66, vengeance and prosperity. Two great events occurred after Jesus Christ's Messiah came. The Jewish nation was destroyed and the church was prospered. Jerusalem was burned in 70 AD to fulfill prophecy and warnings. And the gospel exploded among the Gentiles by our Lord's chosen apostles. God mocked the Jews' trust in ceremonies and promised vengeance. He united Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament gospel church and exalted them over all their rabid enemies, especially the Jews. Remember this, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? How in the world are we going to build a house for a God to be worshipped in that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool? Remember this, he that killeth an ox as if he slew a man, he that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. If we come in here and give the Lord the most enthusiastic praise and worship that we possibly can by attending and by participating, and yet we live sinful, compromising, carnal Christian lives outside this church, we are this. We're offering him a dog's head. We're pouring out swine's blood. So what's the Lord going to do to such hypocrites among the Jews? A voice of noise from the city. A voice from the temple. Ah, the temple's been rebuilt. We're in chapter 66. The second temple has been rebuilt or it wouldn't say temple because Nebuchadnezzar leveled the first temple. So there's a noise of trouble coming out of the temple. A voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. That's 70 A.D. When Jesus walked out of that place for the last time and said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Not two stones of this, this house is going to be left together. 
But notice right along with it, two great events. The destruction of Jerusalem, shoving the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. They were destroyed. That ended the Old Testament. There was no longer an altar. There wasn't a veil. There wasn't a mercy seat. It's ours now, straight in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jerusalem was burned in 70 AD to fulfill prophecy and warnings, and the gospel exploded among the Gentiles by our Lord's chosen apostles, and he united us. And here is the growth part. Before she travailed, she brought forth. How many of you women have given birth and have been holding your babies before you had labor? I mentioned this when I was preaching it. It doesn't happen that way. But it does happen that way when the Lord's in a matter and he is going to explode the size of the church. Before her pain came, that's her labor pains, she was delivered of a man-child, and it goes on to describe it that is not the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the explosion of the church in size and numbers. And when ye see this, the New Testament era of the kingdom of God, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like an herb, the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. The Jews were tore to the ground by Titus Caesar and leveled, their nation ruined. But yet there's these churches all over the place exploding westward into, into Great Britain, into Spain, Paul wanted to visit, into Italy. Remember, he went from Asia into Europe when he crossed over into Macedonia. God hates your worship, if not with an obedient life. The Jews cast out Christians in God's name, but he would avenge them, and did he ever. And like Malachi, Isaiah ends with the Jews destroyed, and they would be viewed with their worm not dying and the fire never being quenched because it was a destruction of that Jewish church, and we were given the church. That's Isaiah. I'm sorry for having to go so fast. It's just a review. If you care about the truth, and if you care about Brother Benjamin's prayer, I have given you a, th a thumbnail sketch of these chapters that if you'll open up your Bible and use this to guide you a little bit and read it again, you can benefit. Mm -hmm. Then instead of two or three minutes, you can take five or ten and, and know the book of Isaiah. I trust that the study has been to the profit of your souls. Please stand with me.